as we sing God's praises together. I will sing forever of your love. Come down with my hands to heaven. Shout your praises loud. I was lost in darkness when you pulled me out. I will sing forever of your love. Come down.
invite our ushers forward as we give back to God through our tithes and offerings. Before he spoke creation 
Please be seated. Let's just take a, a couple of moments to ponder what we were just singing. That you and I are children of God. Sons and daughters of the creator of everything. We're his children. He loves us. Father, it is an awesome thing to ponder that you call us your children. You want to be not just connected to us, but you want us to be family, intimacy. We thank you that you are kind. And merciful. That everything you do for us is for our good. Even when we don't see it. We open our hearts this morning in gratitude and thanksgiving. Father, we thank you for the grace you've given us in setting us free from our sin. And for cleansing us from the burden of sin. Thank you for your grace and in the struggles and the difficulties of our lives. Thank you for your grace in in the moments that seem to overwhelm us and in the everyday moments of life. We thank you, Father, for your comforting grace upon all who grieve. We thank you for your healing grace on all who are ill and in pain. We think particularly today of Karen Gardy, Tim Nichols, Bob Brown, Louise Princell, Hudson Hess, Nancy Cole, Brian Orbacher, Peter Lingenfelter, Ellis Brotsman, Chuck Barrett, Cheryl O'Brien, Ben King, Doris Asepian, Isla Shea, Sheldon Emerson, Bill Getty, Ella Woolsey, Mike Raybuck, Bev Rett, Micah Christensen, Linda Roth, Emily Cricklar, and so many others. We thank you for being present in, in your grace in the ministries of this church and in the churches around us. We pray today for your special grace upon the Wiscoy Baptist Church and Pastor Bennett. May they be united together in your love, that they may share your love. Pray you'd bless that congregation. We thank you for your grace in all the situations of our world. Thank you for your grace in the midst of the the horrific conditions of refugees, the fear, the anxiety. Father, we, we pray for your grace to be present among all who are grieving and healing from the incident in Parkland, Florida this week. Feel compassion. 
We feel anger and frustration. We pray, Father, that you would give to the leaders of of local and state and national government wisdom about how to minimize these kinds of events. Father, where these kinds of events bring fear, replace fear with hope in you. We pray that that you will, you will be at work among others who are continuing to recover from recent tragedies and, and disasters as those go on and on far longer than we probably remember. Father, we pray for places of the world where war is simply life and ask that you would bring peace. Father, we ask for your grace upon our children today, particularly even right now, as many of the younger children are involved with Wesleyan Kids for Missions. As the, some academy students share with them, as, as they are taught about you and your world and, and your feelings for the world, may their hearts be opened to love the world the way you do. May that start at this very young age And may it grow all of their lives. And we pray for our brothers and sisters in places where Christians are often leaders are jailed on false charges. We pray for safety and comfort and and a a faithful witness for you in these difficult times. Father, open our eyes to your daily grace. Open our eyes to know that we are your children, sons and daughters. Give us grace to live out that truth. We pray this through Christ, who in his grace goes to the cross for us and the sins of all people. We give you thanks in his name. Amen. morning. The reading from this morning is from Matthew chapter 27, verses 35 to 44. Please stand if you're able for the reading of the gospel. When they crucified him, they divided up his clothes by casting lots. And sitting down, they kept watch over him there. Above his head, they placed the written charge against him. This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Two rebels were crucified with him, one on his right and one on his left. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, You who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself. Come down from the cross if you are the Son of God. In the same way, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders mocked him. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. He's the king of Israel. Let him come down from the cross, and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God rescue him now if he wants him. For he said, I am the son of God. In the same way, the rebels who were crucified with him also heaped insults on him. This is the word of the Lord. Before you're seated, let me invite you to take a moment and share a word of greeting with others here in worship today.
We don't give that much thought to shadows. But shadows are all around us. And we think about shadows perhaps um, sometimes because they elicit fear in us. You know, we're worried that someone we don't want to be there is lurking in the shadows. We think about shadows on a hot day when we are trying to escape from the, the, the beating of the sun and to try, try to find a place where a shadow is a little cooler. But most of the time, I suspect, we don't give a lot of thought to shadows. But Scripture does. So there's, there's a lot of times in Scripture in which shadows are mentioned. And, and they are mentioned in ways that are both positive and negative. For instance, in Psalm 11, it describes the shadows as a place of God's protection. He says, keep me as the apple of your eye. Hide me in the shadow of your wings. You envision that. The prophet Isaiah uh, speaks of shadows as a means of relief. He says, each one will be like a shelter from the wind and a refuge from the storm, like streams of water in the desert and the shadow of a great rock on a thirsty land. And of course, the, I suspect the most popular, famous of all the Psalms speaks of, of the shadows as a place uh, to fear. And the psalmist says, I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Shadows are all around us. They can be positive, they can be negative. And I've been thinking a bit about shadows over the last couple of months as I've been pondering the season of Lent and the cross and what God might want to say to us. And this idea of shadows came to my mind. Because as I, as I envision it, as I, as I picture in my mind, is of, of the light shining down on the cross, casting a shadow across the people and the land and the things that are there. And I think there's something significant about that. Because shadows are not only something we think about as relief from the heat or as protection from an enemy or as a place to fear. They are also something that can highlight what we might otherwise miss. There is something about about the shadow falling on us that, that highlights us. In a room full of light, the shadow is what our eyes turn toward. And to be in a place where a shadow falls on us gets our attention. When you're walking down a street in the sunlight and all of a sudden the shadow comes over you. Whether it's because a cloud has moved in front of the sun or you've walked in the, in the line of, of a building. You stop. You notice it. And I think there is something like that happening in the cross. I was trying, we're trying to figure out a way this week to, to shine the, the light of the cross Across the church, across us. We couldn't find a good way to do that without the light shining in your eyes during the whole time. And, you know, that just doesn't seem like a good idea. So we came up with this idea of the cross shining there and to see that shadow. And you'll notice that the shadow is much bigger than the cross. It's wider, it's taller. And 
And in the shadow of the cross, we think about some things that we might not otherwise ponder. One of the groups on which the shadow of the cross falls are the religious leaders. The religious leaders in Israel from the beginning in which God calls Israel out to be his people. The religious leaders have, all, have been set apart to, to connect people to God. That's their task. Their task is to represent God to the people and to represent the people to God. And they do that by teaching them the law. They do that by, by being the ones to do the sacrifices for the people. They do that by modeling their behavior. God sets them apart. The tribe of Levi and all of their various descendants sets them apart to be the spiritual leaders of Israel. To be the ones who connect people to God. Unfortunately, when you look through the history of God's people, through the prophets, through the, the narratives of the, of the Old Testament, you find that more often than not, these religious leaders fail. Instead of, instead of thinking of ways to connect the people to God and God to the people, they're just thinking about themselves. They become self-interested. Everything becomes about wealth and power instead of serving and teaching and revealing. And the worst thing is that, that as the people experience their interactions with these religious leaders who are supposed to paint an image of who God is, what they discover is that the people are learning an image of what God is not. When, you come, when Jesus appears on the scene, you can see how far they have, they have moved away from their calling because they, very few of them, if any, follow Jesus. Every interaction with Jesus is antagonistic. Every interaction with Jesus is to either to try to trick him or to, to turn the people against him or to find a way to get rid of him because he threatens their self-interest. And when you come to the passion narrative, when you come to the, 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 the 27th chapter of Matthew, the, the 15th chapter of Mark, the 23rd chapter of Luke, the, the 19th chapter of John, you find the, the, the shadow of the cross falling on these religious leaders and exposing who they really are. Despite the impression they want to give people, when you come face to face with the cross, when the shadow of the cross falls down over you, it reveals who you are. You see this in their encounter with Judas. They paid Judas 30 pieces of silver to betray Jesus. But after he betrays him, Judas feels great remorse about it. And he realizes he's done a terrible thing. And he goes back to them and he says, I don't want this money. I've done something wrong. And they said, what do we care? It's done. He throws the money into the, into the temple and runs. And they look at each other and they say, okay, what do we do with this 30 pieces of silver? What do we do with this money? It came from the treasury. We ought to put it back in the treasury, but we all know, they even say this, we all know it's blood money. It's money we used to, to commit murder. So we can't put it back in the treasury. That wouldn't be right. So we'll buy a field for foreigners to be buried in. People will like that. They'll think we're not such bad guys after all. 
When they encounter Pilate and the interaction of whether Pilate's going to release Jesus or not, he says to them, you want me to, you want me to crucify your king? And their response is one of the most astounding in all the pages of Scripture. These people whose calling is to, is to connect people to God say to Pilate, we have no king but Caesar. Wow. And then you find them in the passage we read this morning, standing around the cross. And here you see the depths of their, of their hard-heartedness, of the callousness of who they are. Here is Jesus, and they know he's innocent. They know he's innocent. He's suffering horribly. And they feel absolutely no compassion for him. Not only do they not feel compassion, they mock him. Hey, if you're the son of God, let's see it. Come on down. We're waiting. You say that, that you're from God, you call yourself the Son of God, let's see it. If you come down, we'll believe. Wink, wink. I suspect that had to be one of the most difficult temptations Jesus faces in his whole life. I mean, when you've been fasting for 40 days, turning stones into bread would be pretty tempting. But hanging there from the cross, suffering, knowing you're innocent, hearing those mocking words, everything in me would want to say, you know what? Fine, I will show you. Let's see how that feels. They're so hard-hearted, callous. We get that when we read the story because, by and large, I'd say we're pretty much all on Jesus' side. It's easy to see their hard-heartedness. It's easy to see their callousness. But what if things were reversed? What if the person being punished, what if the person dying, what if the person suffering is our enemy? What if it's the person who has rejected us? What if it's the person who has hurt us deeply? What's the person who's done unspeakable things to us? What if the person who is on the, it's on the opposite side of everything that we believe in? And it's not, it doesn't have to be that they're dying on a cross, but they're getting what they deserve. To watch our enemy fail, to watch our enemy fall, to watch our enemy lose what they had gained can feel good to us. Sometimes I wonder if we are more interested and, and feel better about our enemies losing than about us winning. We say, yeah, but they deserve it. Perhaps. It doesn't mean that we can't say things are wrong. It doesn't mean that we can't oppose what we think is wrong. It doesn't mean that there isn't justice and there aren't things that should be done to people who, who do things that deserve justice. But in the midst of that, does anything in our spirit feel compassion for them? Or simply a sense of good? 
I'm glad they got what they deserved. I think we're a lot like Jonah. You know? Most of us, probably if you went to Sunday school, you know Jonah. Jonah gets called by God to go preach to the Ninevites, and he hates the Ninevites because they've been so brutal to the Israelites and most of the nations of the world, and they enjoy it. And they celebrate it. And God says, go preach to the Ninevites. Jonah runs the other way, and finally God gets his attention. Being swallowed by a whale tends to do that. And he, he gets over there, and he gets preaches, and they repent. And God forgives them. And Jonah is angry. Jonah is irritated. And he points his finger at God and says, I knew you were going to do that. I can't tell you, God, how angry I am at you right now for doing that. They didn't deserve forgiveness. They deserved wrath and punishment. And quite frankly, I wanted to stand back and watch it happen. And I suspect we wrestle with that, with those we consider enemies. Here's the problem. It's, it's easy to justify feeling that way toward people that we believe are wrong and feeling that way about people who think about things differently than we do. It's easy to feel that way when, when we have a moral justification, and often we do. But here's the problem. When you, when you feel no compassion for anyone, There is a tendency to struggle with feeling compassion for anyone else. Because those emotions seep. Those emotions run. We want to think we can live compartmentalized lives. I do it, you do it. I can can be... This way toward this person or these, this group of people and not be this way toward everybody else. And sometimes we get away with it. But it seeps. It's amazing to me how when we, when we struggle with our enemies in the sense of, of hating them and wanting bad for them. It's amazing how easily our list of enemies grows. And how wide it begins to expand. Because hard-heartedness is hard-heartedness. Callousness is callousness. And And the cross, the shadow of the cross is falling down across us and on us. And it's revealing that in us. It's exposing it. And of course, in that moment, when we feel, we sense the shadow of the cross exposing that, what's the thing that we do? The human thing for us to do is to run. I'll get out of the shadow of it. I'll I'll get away from it. And then I'll be okay. I don't have to think about it. I want to get away from the conviction of the cross. I I don't want to hear God saying, that's not the person I want you to be. That's not how I want you to feel. It's not how I want you to think. That's not what my children do. I don't, want, I don't want to hear that. So if I just run away from the cross, I can get away from it. And we can live a lot of our lives running away and feel fairly good about ourselves. But here's the problem. 
when you run from the shadow of the cross's conviction, you run from the shadow of the cross's grace. And it's the grace of the cross that saves us. It's the grace of the cross that sets us free. It's the grace of the cross that gives joy and peace and and abundant life to us. And if we aren't willing to stand in the shadow of the cross and hear God's truth to us, we will never truly hear and experience God's grace to us. Great philosopher Soren Kierkegaard loved to tell parables, and one of them is about uh, an auditorium full of people with two doors. And one door says, lecture about heaven, and the other door says, heaven. And he says in the parable that after the room is completely cleared out, every single person chooses the door that says, lecture about heaven. I surmise Kierkegaard might be just a bit cynical about that, but he has a point. Far too often, we would rather talk about God than experience God. We would far too often rather conjecture about God and talk about theology than to really experience and engage ourselves with God. Because you can talk about God and And just walk away from it. But you experience God and you're in the middle of it. And to experience God sometimes can be challenging and difficult. Because God is continually putting his finger on things in our hearts. That are harming us. And hurting us. And enslaving us. And he wants to set us free. But until we can acknowledge and hear him, we'll never repent. We'll never give him the opportunity to set us free. You see, the end game of the cross is not conviction. It's forgiveness. God's end game in sending Christ is not to make us feel bad about our sins. It is to Cause us to understand and acknowledge our sins so that we can be set free from them. So that we can know peace and joy and life abundant that comes only from him. That's the point of the cross. And when the shadow of the cross falls on the religious leaders, the point of that is not to to simply reveal who they are, but to reveal who they are in the hopes that they might see it and acknowledge it and repent. Because what does Jesus say to them? He does not say, Father, show them. Show them the the full force of who we are. Make them pay. Astoundingly, Jesus hanging there says, Father, forgive them. Forgive them. And that's his word to us. That's his word to us. God's goal is what Ezekiel describes in chapter 11 of his prophecy. When he says, God says to the people, 
I want to turn your hearts of stone into hearts of flesh. And what he's really saying is, I want to take your hearts that are hard and calloused and indifferent. I want to make you fully human. I want to restore you to what I created you to be. I want to make you, I want to help you experience what you were created to experience. Joy and peace and grace, love, freedom, life. That's my plan for you. That's my purpose for you. That is the reason Jesus goes to the cross. I don't think we see this dichotomy any more clearly than at this table. At this table, we come face to face with the reality of our sin. That because of our sin, Jesus dies. But at this table, we also experience the joy of life in Christ because we come to him in openness and repentance. And every time we eat the bread and drink the cup, we are not just repenting and coming in open acknowledgement of our need for God, but we are experiencing the forgiveness and the joy that he's promised us in Christ. It is a somber moment. It's also a joyous moment. As you ponder the condition of your heart toward an enemy, toward an opponent, toward a friend who's betrayed you, toward someone who has hurt you deeply, Feel the shadow of the cross falling upon you, exposing that so that you can acknowledge it and repent and find forgiveness through the grace of Christ. Let's pray together. Father, hear our prayers. Speak to us. Father in heaven, thank you that your compassion reaches in to our hearts to convict us and to set us free. May it be so for us today. Pour out the abundance of your blessing on the bread and the cup that as we eat and drink, we may experience anew your forgiveness, your grace, freedom,
life in Christ. In whose name we pray. Amen. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, meeting with his disciples, he took bread. He gave thanks to the Father in heaven. He broke it. And he gave it to his disciples saying, take, eat. This is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. On the same night, he took the cup. Again, he gave thanks to the Father in heaven and gave it to his disciples, saying, drink from this, all of you. For this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for your sins and the sins of all people. Every time you do this, do it in remembrance of me. We're receiving communion this morning by the mode of intinction. Something means to dip in. As you are released by rose, come to the front, tear off a piece of bread, dip it into the cup, eat it, and then you may return to your seat by the outside aisles. The altar rails always available if you'd like to stay and pray. If coming to the front is difficult for you, or if you simply prefer, uh, we have trays of bread and cups. We're happy to serve you in your seat. Just let the usher know as your row is released. And I have gluten-free wafers and cups here. If you would like those, just let me know as you come forward. We practice open communion at the Wesleyan Church. You don't have to be a member here. Maybe it's the first time you've ever worshipped here. But if you come today with, with your heart open to God, with the desire to receive His forgiving grace, come, receive these gifts from our gracious, loving, Heavenly Father.
the benediction. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ
the love of God, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now and forevermore. Amen.